Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's May 12th, 1191, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. It was today in history that the legendary medieval warrior king Richard the Lionheart wed Berengaria of Navarre. It was an unusual wedding in many respects. Not only did it take place in Cyprus, the homeland of neither party, the bride became the only queen of England never to visit England, and the groom was probably gay. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Richard the Lionheart was the older brother of John, who we talked about last week, as in King John Magna Carta. But this is before that. Mm. So Richard the Lionheart becomes King of England at the age of 31, still a bachelor. In 1191, draw your own conclusions there. Um, But it's really important that he has an heir for all the reasons we talked about regarding his mother, Eleanor of Aquitaine, which is that she came with a huge swathe of France. Mm. So the reason that he's a particularly powerful English king is because his mum was French, really. And if he doesn't have an heir, then what's going to happen is uh, slowly but surely England's going to lose bits of France, which is, spoiler, what happened. Yeah, and part of the reason why Richard I hadn't married until this moment was that he'd actually been betrothed since he was a little kid to Elise of France, who was the sister of King Philippe Augustus. But Richard's father, King Henry II, had made Elise his mistress. Uh, And so Richard was understandably a little bit reluctant to marry her, especially given that gossip claimed that Alice may even have borne the late king, his father's child. And I guess it wouldn't quite do to have your own stepson as your brother. It's going to be a hard sell to the Pope, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to get the Pope to sanction all these unions. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, my son would like to marry my mistress, please. Yeah, I mean, Eleanor of Aquitaine had obviously, as we covered in a previous retrospective episode, had obviously already had a pretty troubled history with marriage herself. And she got very involved in marrying off her own children in what she thought would be the most advantageous way. So she'd already married off her daughter, Eleanor, at the age of nine to Alfonso VIII of Castile in modern-day Spain, which bordered with her territory in France. And there was just one remaining little bit of border that wasn't covered, and that was Navarre, a relatively small Spanish. Spanish kingdom. So a union with Navarre would create this huge swathe of united territory over which, you know, she would have some sway and then certainly her children. So she set on Berengaria of Navarre, who was a few years younger. She was in her early or mid 20s at the time, you know, practically a crone. She was really in, she on was the in, shelf. Wow. She was in double digits. Um, <laughs> She was... But she was, I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> i tell you what, she wasn't on the shelf for lack of being attractive. Lots of contemporary chroniclers said she that she was very fair, which they kind of had to say at the time. But also more, the, the chronicler Amboise describes her as a wise maiden, noble, brave and fair, neither false nor disloyal. The I'm not hearing them... attractive there. No. I mean, F- fair. Fair. <laughs> fair. Fair. Well, the other advantage that she represented was that she was going to bring a not insubstantial dowry that for Eleanor of Aquitaine, she thought this would help her kid, Richard, 
put together the finance that he needed to run his third crusade. And that, you know, was really in her thinking when this whole thing started up. And Eleanor actually went to pick up uh, Berengaria herself. I mean, fierce woman. She's now pushing 70 years old. Yeah. And she's clearly still pulling the strings like... How do we secure a Plantagenet heir so that we can continue this Anglo-French dynasty? How do we recoup the costs of this holy war? And she comes up with a solution and she personally goes to get this woman yeah. and say, look, marry her now. I mean, it's impressive dedication at a time when it wouldn't have been easy going across the Pyrenees in the <laughs> 1190s. Yeah, and they were meeting with Richard in Sicily. I mean, he was technically he was on the Third Crusade, but you will notice that Sicily is not the Holy Land and it was not ruled by Muslims at the time. It was a very meandering campaign. <laughs> and the reason that he'd gone there, and he was actually, he was with Philip Auguste of France. They had this kind of goofy, odd couple arrangement that they would both go on crusade because neither of them trusted the other one not to invade their territory if they left. So they were stopping <laughs> off in Sicily because Richard's sister Joan, who had been married to the King of Sicily, who had died... She'd been imprisoned by his cousin and usurper, Tancred, so they were stopping off there to smoothen all of that out, which they did. And during this time, Richard was also able to kind of tactfully break off his engagement to Philip's sister, Elise, the one who was reportedly sleeping with his dad, and discreetly get Berengaria brought out to Messina, where he was waiting. But the problem was that it was Lent and they couldn't get married. Well, so, mm, well, really? Oh, it's Lent. It's just you know, it's not a great time just, for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is this is sacrilege. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. When your mum, who's the queen of two nations, says you can get married to this woman, and the Pope's into it, I don't think you can bring up Lent. No, really, there's something else going on. I did, I did look it up, and apparently, you, it's only Good Friday that you're not supposed to get married on, and right. Easter Saturday. So there are plenty of other days in Lent where you could be getting married. If <laughs> he you really always found to. a reason, didn't he? He'd had 20 years of practice of finding reasons not to marry women at this point. Yeah, and his ongoing reason was that he had to keep moving towards the Holy. Land, even though he'd just stopped off and enjoyed enjoyed the wine and the pasta and everything, uh, but he, you know, he had to get going now. And so now that Berengaria was joined up with Joan, they kept trying to chase him down, basically. So Richard mm. is off trying to get to the Holy Land, and so are they. But Berengaria and Joan then have this catastrophic moment where they're shipwrecked on the coast of Cyprus in this violent storm, and the Cyprians then besieged this ship pretty much to take all the loot. Yeah, and you know what that means, guys? Destination wedding. Because Joan <laughs> and Berengaria were then imprisoned by Isaac Komnenos, who was the brutal despot, who kind of like eccentric and angry man who had somehow got control of Cyprus and was running it as a personal fiefdom. It was pretty bold, knowing that Richard was going to the Third Crusade to just Ooh. abduct his sister and fiancé <laughs> and be like, this probably won't have any consequences. So Richard arrived, swiftly took control of Cyprus, deposed Isaac, and then decided... I guess, mm. Yeah, I mean, at this point, feeling like it's probably time that you have to seal the deal on this marriage after <laughs> everything that's happened. They yeah. got married at the Chapel of St. George in Limassol Castle. We don't know what the ruler of Cyprus had got up to with uh, Bengaria during this period. And for a man that didn't do much that was very noble romantically with this woman, at least stepping in and marrying her did uh, stop there being a stigma around her, which is kind of the least he could do, right? Mm. And then, according to some accounts, misses the wedding night uh, before he heads off to for three years more fighting. Yeah, so she actually travelled in the same direction, ending up in Accra in Palestine. She was accompanying Richard, but it's unclear quite how close to one another they were at this time. His indifference to her as an 
individual is crystal clear even from this distance. Yes. Um, he, he spent 14 months in captivity. He was captured in Austria. And then when he made it back to England in 1194, he had a second coronation and he didn't invite his wife to it. <laughs> I mean, that tells you, doesn't it? That they're not having the best relationship. They had been apart for nearly three years at this point. And after this, I mean, the, obviously the records are quite you know thin from this era. We know that they spent Christmas 1194 together. We know that they attended Joan's wedding in October 1196 together. But that's possibly it. She didn't even attend his funeral. Yeah, and then after his death, I mean, more and more chronicles emerging that suggest that he was homosexual. He may have been having a relationship with Berengaria's brother, Sancho, when he was a teenager, not the same time he was married to her, but nonetheless you can see why that wouldn't make her his first choice of wife. Um, that he was so close to King Philip II that according to one chronicler in 1187, quote, at night the bed did not separate them. Uh, that's been seen by some historians as... Uh, a symbolic um, way of uh, unifying their countries at night. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There was this fascinating attempt at a reappraisal by the BBC, uh, where one of Richard's biographers, Professor John Gillingham, said exactly that that this was them pretty much physically getting into bed with each other to prove how much they trusted one another. And mm. he sort of went on to say, you know, we still have this phrase, getting into bed with each other, as an idea of, you know, leaders being potentially in one another's pockets on something significant. But it does seem pretty thin. It feels like when you actually jump into bed with a fellow monarch, maybe there's something else going on. <laughs> and so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.